This is Leaders Lens, the show that reveals what it really takes to become a great leader. I'm Jacob Espinoza, a Fortune 500 leadership consultant and director of creator success at Workweek. Let's go. When we invest in our team, we invest in the people around us, it's a lot easier to have that constructive feedback and they're gonna be more open to it. I feel like a misstep a lot of managers and leaders make is their first conversation is piece of criticism. And if that's how you're opening up the relationship, like it's natural the person you're speaking to is gonna have the instinct of putting the walls up, getting defensive, and just not being open or receptive to hearing that. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Jacob, how are you? I'm doing incredible, man, I'm blessed. I'm here with the man of stone himself, Seth Steinman, talking about one of my favorite tops in leadership development, radical candor. So hard to have a bad day under those situations. To get the conversation started, here's a question for the group, and feel free to leave this emoji in the comments so we know what yours answer is. But what is your most used emoji? Seth, do you have an answer? What do you have? Are you an emoji guy? Is this something that you're you're throwing in conversations? I'm a huge emoji guy. My favorite is actually the cool old mom. He's like coming through the wall. Um, I love so that. Most of our wins. That's how how we react. So that's celebrating a win. When you have a win in your channel and they see the Kool-Aid man, they know that's that's excited about this. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I love We're it. all excited. Yeah, wins are, wins are shared, shared widely. Well, Electric has a lot of wins to celebrate right now. So that's a, that's a big deal for sure. My most used emoji, and I'm excited to start seeing some pop up in the chat here as well. It's probably the similar reason I'll use it, but the, uh, the graph up. Like if we're killing it right now, like I'm going to put the, uh, the graph showing that trends are going incredible. You got that hockey stick look to the graph, which which is it's fun to feel the wind. It's fun to see the progress. But also the, the laughing emoji. Like if something's hilarious, I'm going to drop a few laughing emojis as a reply. Bria put the eye roll emoji being her most recent, most used. That's, that's an awesome one as well. Sometimes, you know, you have those days, you have those interactions where the eye roll emoji is just the, uh, the appropriate one. So Seth, we are just incredibly thrilled to have you. And let me share just a little bit with the audience so they know why it's it's crucial that they, they stay engaged and listen to this conversation know how much they can learn from you. So Seth has led growth on demand gen and SDR teams at business to business and SaaS companies and agencies for the last 10 plus years. So a wealth of experience to speak about. He's currently senior director of growth at Electric and he has helped Electric grow from a series B company single digit ARR to a 1 billion that employs over 1000 people. That's a lot. That's a lot of, a lot on your resume there, Seth. And we're just thrilled to, to get to know you. And when we spoke last week, you talked about how crucial radical candor was in creating this shift in the culture. How would you introduce a topic and how has it been helpful for you in, in growing this business? Radical candor is from Kim Scott and the foundation is care personally and challenge directly. So you can think of it as, as like an axis. It's essentially the fact that you don't have to choose between being like a jerk on one side and, and a pushover on the other. So it's a framework for overall management philosophy, for hard conversations, for everyday meetings, and just enables you to kind of build a team, a culture, a company, collaborate together on on results. And it's kind of what business is, is all about. So it's been... Really, really helpful uh, framework for me. Why do you think it's important for businesses? That's what businesses are about, right? It, it, it's businesses are a collection of humans trying to get stuff done, and this is a way where you can enjoy going to work. You know, knowing 
your colleagues personally, caring about them personally, but also challenging them to, you know, be better, to improve, to get more for the business. And so we had talked about how previously this wasn't really an approach that you took to leadership, but it had an impact. So I'm curious to hear, like, what was the difference that you saw in how you acted, but then also the results that you got as you became familiar with this framework of radical candor, which is caring personally and challenging directly, or some of the differences you saw first in how you approached leadership, but then also the, the outcomes that you saw from your people. Well, I'll tell you what my big aha moment was. I was, I was working on like on the agency side and I had to, to fire an intern who was wonderful, but, but just really, you know, something shifted and, and he really started underperforming. And those are always really hard conversations, hard decisions. And I remember him making a comment about how he was like taken aback or like surprised that we were firing him. And I was like, shit, like that means that I did not do my job as a manager. Like if someone's surprised that they're getting fired, like you failed as a manager. And that's when I was like, let me like spend more time thinking about leadership and management. And when I realized that it's not an either or, like you can care personally about humans while also challenging them on being more effective, being better. And actually, you're doing them a, a favor by by doing that. You, you're doing a disservice if, if you're not really honest and and transparent and forthcoming with your employees. A way that I, I think about it is like we challenge them directly because we care about them. Like we understand yeah. like in the moment there's going to be this conversation that's going to be a little bit awkward because we're, we're we're recognizing a gap that this person has, but we're doing it because we realize this person hasn't met their potential yet. And they have growth and they're going to be better because of the feedback we got. And an analogy I use when I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people about this sometimes is if I have broccoli in my teeth, like don't let me walk around at a, a networking event with broccoli in my teeth. Like tell me that it's there. It might be a little awkward in the moment, but I want to be so grateful that somebody stepped up to acknowledge this because I would have just been you know, humiliated throughout the day walking around with like a piece of food stuck in my teeth. Just having this as an agreed upon framework enables me to be less awkward with that conversation. I'm like, you know, Jacob, like I care about you personally. So like, I'm going to be, I'm like, just so you know, you've got broccoli in your teeth versus like, I didn't go up and say, or like, you know, the people when you like get a zipper is unzipped and they kind of do some awkward, I'm like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like they, they don't even feel comfortable kind of sharing it. So that's the other piece is that not only is it good for you to remember, but it makes the conversations easier when you have this agreed upon team framework. Hundred percent. So, for you personally, was the the challenging directly part the more challenging component of it, or was it showing the team that you cared about them personally? Was there was there one or the other that you realized like I need to kind of step it up in this category? It was the the challenging directly. I would say I always have challenged. I did not have a good framework in which to do it in like a kind of respectful way. So for me, it's less like these things always made sense to me and I've always practiced them, but like the combination and then being able to talk about it in the framework is is really what enabled me to be successful and, and why I love it so much. How do you balance the need for candor, but also maintain positive relationships within your team? Because I feel like sometimes that's the fear is if I'm critical of people, they're not going to want to talk to me about it or they're not going to have a relationship with me. They're going to be less likely 
to want to approach me and maybe see me as unapproachable. So how do you, how do you balance that? I mean, I think very essential, like, as you mentioned, that it's really hard to be candid if you don't have kind of that baseline of caring personally and then them knowing you care personally. You know, I am very intentional about asking about pets, remembering kids' birthdays, remembering kids' names, like asking about vacations, wanting pictures, because that enables us to have some of those those hard conversations. Kim actually gave in the book an example where she kind of crushed it on a project at Google. Her boss is Sheryl Sandberg, who, who many people probably know, went into Sheryl's office and she was like, look, that was good, but you said um a lot. And she, she said, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but she said something like, you're one of the smartest people I know, and that makes you sound stupid. And then she offered to have like a, a speech coach. And if you just think about telling a brand new employee at your company, like you sound stupid, it would not go over well, right? It, it wouldn't be productive. But having that baseline of caring enables you to, to kind of give that very honest feedback. That's great. And like when we invest in our team, we invest in the people around us, it's a lot easier to have that constructive feedback and they're going to be more open to it. I feel like a misstep a lot of managers and leaders make is their first conversation is piece of criticism. And if that's how you're opening up the relationship, like it's natural, the person you're speaking to is going to have the instinct of putting the walls up, getting defensive and just not being open or receptive to hearing that. But when you, when you establish the fact that I care about you as a person, I want you to be successful. That's why I'm giving you this feedback. It allows you to be direct and for it to be uh, I mean, and the person you're giving feedback to, to assume the best intentions and you're doing this because you care. 100%. And I think the other piece that I like about that story, and I love that you brought this, this story up, is how direct Cheryl Sandwick had to be in giving this feedback. Because if she was like, hey, you probably should, you know, stop saying, um, you don't know how the person on your team is going to interpret that message. They might leave with like, eh, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. But when you're intentional and you explain the impact of when you do this, you look dumb. You need to stop doing it. It's a much different conversation. And that's why I like the approach of radical candor so much more than like the sandwich method of feedback, which is like, show them you care, give feedback, then show them you care. In that message of feedback gets lost every single time. Like the person leaves that conversation and feeling like, I'm doing fine. Like there was some feedback, but I don't need to worry about that. Things are good. The radical candor approach is different because you're very specific on, we need you to change. You're holding yourself back and the team back if you don't make these changes. It is so much easier to just say, you did a great job. Here's a cookie. Like that is the <laughs> easiest, that is by far the easiest route. Yeah. Um, so it shows that she cares. Uh, and I think it takes a while for us leaders to like appreciate that. And it, and it takes just a while in the job to say like, wow, that was the harder call. And and the best route for like Kim's career too. And in your experience, Seth, how does radical candor lead to improved performance within individuals on a team, but also within the, the team as a whole? I think the, the most important part is that it helps create a safe place for everybody. And that's crucial for performance. People need to feel that. And then also it creates a sense of like collaboration and the fact that like we have each other's backs. Uh, we were actually, it was this week we were, we were in a team meeting and we're, this is going to be like a little marketing niche, so I'll keep this quick, but it's like, which team gets attribution, which team gets credit for, for this op. And someone actually was like, look, this is gray. Like, I'm going to give it to you. And for me as like a manager, I'm like, damn, I love that. Like, that is like a sign that this team trusts each other, that we like each other. 
and that this is like a safe place. And then there's, of course, you know, being able to, to challenge directly enables you to, uh, to be more productive for us to, to find opportunities and, and talk about them openly and honestly. That's beautiful. It's awesome seeing that it's so part of the culture now that like you're seeing these things come to life in a team meeting yeah. where sometimes people are very reserved. They don't want to speak up, but like you, you've created this culture where people understand this is just part of what we do. This is part of what makes us great at, at electric. So you love hearing those outcomes. Another part of uh, Red Evocander, which I have like somewhat overlooked, but she talks about rock stars versus superstars. What that means is you have rock stars who are like solid performers, you know, like a rock, right? And they're essential, but they have like a ton of stuff outside of work. And maybe they're just not trying to like stretch on every project. And then you have the superstars, which are like the forces for change within your company. They're super ambitious at work. Um, they're always looking for new opportunities and they're not mutually exclusive and people can change from one to the other. Like I have a, like a 13 month old son at home. Like I have been more, much more of a rock star since he's been born that that, that can change, you know, within, within time. Awesome. We have a great question here from, from Bria Waller. Thank you, Bria, for, for bringing this up. So question Seth, how do you use radical candor with employees that take things extremely personal? Because I, I feel like we all have those people that we work with that even the smallest bit of criticism, we just don't know how they're going to react. How do you approach that sort of a situation? So Ken Scott calls this ruinous empathy on her, her kind of access. It's when you care personally, but you know, you're not able to, to challenge directly either because either you as a manager or the people, you know, don't, don't enable it. You know, for me to remember, it's like, that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help employee. It doesn't help community like us as managers. It doesn't help the company, but it's hard. It's a hard situation. Like, so, so there's a couple things. So one, what you can sometimes do is actually give the radical candor, like within a win. So Shell Silver, the example we talked about was a, a little, probably harsh. If you have an employee that takes things personally, but you can give feedback after like a really good event or like after they hit a number, be like, that's awesome. Like but if you thought about if you did this one thing, maybe you wait ahead 120%. So that's like sometimes a good place to, to start. The other thing I think about is the method of communication. So if face-to-face, even, you know, even like a virtual face-to-face is hard or, or they take things personally, you know, maybe it's within like a Slack or an email or like there's tools like simple improvements and seven use where you can give feedback which may help as well. And I think something to remember as a leader is like you never want somebody being fired to be a surprise. And if we don't provide feedback, we kind of put ourselves in a box for us the only situation because we have this person that's struggling, they're not hitting their goals, they're probably maybe not following up with with deadlines that impact other people on your team. And if you're not holding people accountable, like it's just going to destroy your, your team culture. So you're going to end up in a place where this person has damaged so many relationships with no other option but to let them go. And by providing radical candor, you can prevent that. You can give them the option of like, hey, we just these are the changes we need you to make. And now you're kind of putting the ball in their court because up to them to make the changes. You set the expectations of what this role requires. And now it's up to them to, to them to make them accountable. It's not your decision. Like you set the expectations, there were clear expectations, and they did it or they they didn't. So I think that's just like one piece I would add to that, that component and why another reason why I think radical candor is just such an incredible tool. Absolutely. 
Can you yeah. share an example of, of a how you've used radical candor? Maybe a specific situation on your team that was challenging, but radical candor helped you work past the obstacle. We actually had one just this month, so super top of mind. We had um, a same development rep, so entry level sales. Um, usually, you know, first or second job out of uh, out of college, and when he's on his game, he absolutely crushes it. But performance had really fallen off in in Q four, and you know, like we're pretty transparent. Uh, we have like public dashboards and metrics. I share it, you know, share stuff with exec on a monthly basis. Performance had been lacking. It was showing in the numbers. I know he was having um, some some like kind of issues outside of the the office. So, you know, we had a conversation at the end of Q four and used the radical candor framework. Like, look, I care about you personally. I totally understand things are going on. Like when you're on, you crush it. Like, what can I do to help? We've met, you know, a few different times and actually we just finished up uh closed out February and he was he was actually the top uh top SDR for for a number of ops created. So that was that's been like a a big win. So was there was there specific feedback in that? Like do you feel like or was it was it more problem solving collaboration on the uh, on the on the problem. I'm always curious how, how different managers and leaders address that. I try to keep things as open-ended as possible to start. Like, hey, here's what I'm seeing. Like, talk to me, right? Like, when you're on it, you crush it. Like, look at these other months where you were number one. Like, what's going on, you know? And then, and then, like, let's work on it together. There was some very, like, practical, like, we got together, like, super in the weeds. But, like, one example is, like, he was getting just a ton of emails that weren't necessary for his day-to-day. And it was, like, overwhelming the inbox and he was kind of just caused him to, to feel like overwhelmed. Right. And so we like set up filters, got it cleaned up. We declared like email bankruptcy for any emails that were more than two months old and just like got, got it back to like a really good square one. And then he took it from there. Um, but a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it's like, he knows, he knows what he needs to do. It's just, Hey, I'm here. I care about you and I'm paying attention and other people are too. So like, that's the radical candor part. That's the like, look, if this continues on this road, like there's only one kind of end solution and it's up to him to turn around and he, and kudos to him. He absolutely did. The other takeaway I'm, I'm hearing in this story is the fact that you're, you're paying attention because you're invested in this person. Like you're not like out to get them. You're not trying to like find every mistake they're, they're making because you're, you have some agenda against him. It's just, Hey, I'm paying attention. I want you to do well. I'm noticing these things that you're, you're excelling at. I see these strengths and the value that you bring, but there's also this thing that we need you to change. Right. And I think just like that package and feedback is just so, so productive. And I think to Bria's question earlier, um, it helps take the defensive defenses down where some people might have only worked for managers in the past who only spoke with them when it was time to get feedback. And just taking that approach is an easy way to to separate yourself. And the other thing is, like, I, I talk about this a lot. So if you follow me on, like, social media, you've probably heard me say it. But, like, some people wake up on empty. Like, they wake up, no self-esteem. They don't come from a place where people are encouraging them to be better, where people are investing in them and recognizing the value they bring. And so if they come from their home life to work with that, and the first thing they hear is, like, here's all the things you're doing wrong. Like, it's no wonder they're going to feel defeated and not want to show up the next day. But if we take that time to just invest in them and build them up, I can make the world of difference, not just at the work experience, but they take that energy home with them as as well. And I just, I love hearing that you have that approach with, with your team, Seth. The other thing I'll say is, 
even as managers, like we should be asking proactively for feedback as well. And having it as like a two-way street can sometimes create that trust as well. How do you establish that as part of your culture? I do feel like, I think every leader would say I'm open to feedback, but not every leader is actually open to feedback. So how do you, how do you establish that as part of your culture? What have you learned? Yeah, I think there's two two parts to it. So the first is creating like processes where, you know, where we're encouraging it, right? So at the end of every quarter, like sending out a quick survey that's just anonymous and it's like, yo, what's one thing I can do better? Like just open text, anonymous, boom. At the end of all of our, we have twice a year reviews and the last question is like, what's one thing I can do better as a manager to like help you? That's the first, having like the processes in place. And then the second is when you do get the feedback, recognizing it, appreciating it, hearing it and acting on it, you know, because that's how, that's how people, you know, feel comfortable kind of giving more. Absolutely. If your first instinct when you get feedback is to get defensive or to shift the feedback and they're like, well, the reason I do this is because you do this. Um, the person's not going to want to continue giving feedback because the feeling is like, why am I going out of my way to give my boss feedback? That's going to help his team. Or I feel like going to help his team is if every time I do that, he's getting defensive. And then the other side of it, which I love that you called out, is like we've kind of set the example of what it looks like to receive feedback for our team. And so if we're open to it, it's going to be a lot more likely that the people on our team are as well. That's, that's beautiful. And as you're thinking of you know beyond yourself and you're on your team, but creating change at an organization, what have you learned about helping people be onboard, onboarded to this sort of methodology in both giving and receiving feedback? I think just early on, um, establishing it as your your culture is huge. It's also the future. Like we are now virtual companies in, in most cases, and it requires kind of like an effort in many cases to that there's no water cooler, if you will. You need to create those opportunities to gain trust and, and care personally. Awesome. And I love that you're at Electric, you've already created those systems and established processes of here's the times that we're gonna be proactive in, in reaching out and, and getting feedback from our team because especially, you know, working from home and hybrid, you don't have those just casual interactions where someone might bump into you and it leads to a conversation. So you really do have to to create that as, as part of how your how your company runs. So great call out there. And then Bree adds, I, I naturally use radical candor, but have received feedback from ownership that they find that as a weakness in my leadership. How do you explain that to upline so they can find value? Um, that she added, maybe it's not just something they understand my first time ever being told that's a weakness. If I understand this correctly, it's she feels that her approach of showing people that she cares about them is actually a weakness and it's not showing she's a strong leader in our organization. Do you have any, have any thoughts around that sort of a, a dynamic? I'm not sure if you've, you've seen that in the past. This is where I think having like a named framework really helps. Like it's one thing, like we can all kind of, I think, agree with the overall idea of like, yes, care personally so you can challenge directly, right? Like, but but having it as the named framework, I think is half the value because now you can like go to your management or, or your ownership and say, you know, like, this is one of the philosophies or, you know, say like, hey, I was just on a LinkedIn live with like meter lens and we were talking about radical candor and this is something that makes sense to me. It's something that I want to like propose, you know, it sounds like you've, you've had some conversations about your leadership style. So I would use that as an opening. Like, what do you think if I, you know, really just embrace 
this radical candor. These are the two components of it. And caring personally is literally half of it. And then go from there. But I think this gives you an opportunity to address it directly. And, and that's the radical candor part, right? That's the part of challenging directly to ownership, like up the chain of what part do you disagree with? What part do you have feedback on? What part can I do better? But I don't think anyone should fault you for caring personally. That's for sure. If it stops you from challenging directly, you know, that can be an issue, but, but like, let's narrow down where the feedback lies. Absolutely. Do you remember what it was at Electric about radical candor or about the, uh, what you were seeing in your organization that helped you understand, like, we need this. This is something that's going to help us get better. I'm not sure if you're, how, how long ago it was, but do you remember what helped you realize that shift was needed? It's been a long time. I mean, I, the, the aha moment, um, like I said, was like agency, like that was probably eight years ago where I was like, I need to, to find a better philosophy to become a better, a better manager, a better leader. And this just, uh, has made like a, a lot of sense to me and I'll, I'll credit you, uh, my CMO at a previous company and, and here prior Andrea, she, she really embraces it as well. And, and so having that has, has really helped. Has it been an, an organic rollout where it's you setting the example and then talking to people individually as you're mentoring different leaders throughout the company, or was there more of an, an established cadence on, on how this rolled out at Electric? At Electric, pretty natural. Uh, but at our previous company, actually, we we had a book club and we literally, this was the book we sent, you know, free uh, to employees. Like, let's read this together. Let's talk about it. Like, do we all agree? And I think it depends where your culture's at. If this seems like a, a kind of like mild shift that you could talk about and and I'll get behind. I, I think, you know, just talking about it in like an offsite or OKRs or reviews makes a lot of sense. If you have like a really, if your culture is really struggling and it seems like a big shift, having it actually as like a book where you can, you know, talk about each chapter and talk about what you agree with is kind of a, um, might be necessary. And, and I think it's the best way to reset the culture. One activity they have in the book is they actually recommend that you re you meet with your direct reports and you ask them the last conversation that we had, where does it fit on this quadrant? Like, did I care personally, but not challenge you directly? Did I challenge you directly, but not show that I cared personally? Did I do both and allow them to tell you where the conversation uh, landed, which is just a, a great tool in creating self-awareness where you can understand where your gaps are. And you might be aligned, but you also might be completely missing the mark. And it also kind of sets the tone that, okay, I'm open to feedback. It might be something new for you. Your team might not be used to you asking them for feedback, but it at least shows them that, hey, this person's making an effort. They're not feeling like feedback is a, is a one-way road because that can get exhausting. Totally. How about across the organization? So you're not necessarily working with your direct reports, but you're working with your peers. How have you seen Radical Candor uh, different, but also useful in, in that sort of a relationship. I think it's even more important across teams. And especially now we are moving faster than ever across organizations as we roll out, you know, new products, as we all work uh, asynchronously remotely and having that trust across teams to collaborate and, and being able to hold each other accountable to roadmaps, to goals. It's critical if we are going to be successful, you know, in this in these next few years. And Electric has 
is just crushing it. Your clients love you. You're simplifying IT for so many different companies. What's the secret to the success outside of, of Radical Candor? What have you learned just about organizational health in, in these last two years working with, with such a, a big and successful company? It's a good question. I mean, look, you need to work with smart people that you care about on like a big, hairy problem that's really important. And, you know, we're fortunate to, to have all of those pieces here at Electric for sure. The, the thing you'll add to Jacob, just because I know earlier a couple of people gave like zeros and ones in terms of like their familiarity with radical candor is that it's a framework and you don't, you're not going to get it right every time. And that's okay. And it takes time um, as all change does. And, you know, every step you can take, I think is, is important and has incremental value. Beautiful. I love that. Like recognizing just the small wins, every step yeah. has value. There's always going to be a million problems you have to solve. Like you're always going to feel overwhelmed when you're an ambitious person and you're in an ambitious environment. That should be motivation to work even harder to recognize the small wins because you need them as a leader for sure. Like you need to, to see that so you're not getting burnt out, but your team needs it as well, right? They need to see that even though things can seem really big, there's so many problems and we're sometimes building the ship as we're, we're flying it or wherever, however that saying goes, like there's still a lot of things going well. We're making progress and it's just fun to look back sometimes and just recognize the benefits and the value of the hard work that you've put in and not feel like it's just constantly like, I think things are constantly happening that can seem too big to manage at times. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, not everyone has like kind of people wake up on empty and not everyone has that, that source of external like positive reinforcement. I don't know if Kim talks about this in, in the book, but you know, you should also think about radical candor, like in a mirror, like about yourself, like care personally about yourself, like your own mental health, like your own, you know, your own well-being, your own team. And then what are there opportunities to to do better? And maybe that means, you know, giving yourself more talent. Or maybe it means, you know, focusing on different projects you enjoy more. That can sometimes be hard as managers or as leaders, uh, but it's it's no less important. That's for sure. I love that. Yeah, like don't make you an option because I, I think to your point, like even building off it, maybe I'll take it a step further. It might be impossible to care about other people if you don't first care about yourself. You know, like I don't even know if if you can do that genuinely and authentically. You can do the things and like try to show up, but without like taking time for you to be at your best it's going to be impossible to be at your best for your team. And especially if you're leading through change and that's the season of life that you're in, like you have to be pretty disciplined to make sure like I'm going to block out this 30, 45 minutes, whatever it is to do something for me because I know I need it to refresh and re-energize. And I know if I do this thing, I'll be better throughout the rest of my day and my week. So no, I feel like this conversation is not complete without you bringing that up. So, so thank you for, for bringing that, that up. What is your thing? Do you have a thing that for you is, I know if I do this, I'm going to be at my best for my team? I have like the, uh, like a five minute journal that I really try to do every morning. And I know that if I am able to do that, it's just like, it's kind of like things you're grateful for. That really sets me up for success. The trying to get outside too and, and like go for a run or taking the dog for a walk or, or my son like for, for a walk that, that really helps as well. But it's been snowy or even worse like ice rain here so 
apologies to the team because uh, I have not gotten out uh, in the last few days <laughs> today to do that. So for the last year, I worked for, uh, I started a nonprofit in my city of Salem, Oregon. So I was out all the time. I was connecting with people. We were going to meetings. Sometimes we would make our meeting walking so we could just stretch our legs. Yeah. And But uh, about four weeks ago, I joined the Workweek team. I've had a newsletter here for since uh, last August, but I joined full-time as the director of Create Our Success. And I'm already seeing myself like getting into some of these habits where I'm just like at my desk from 6.30 to like two o'clock. And so I'm already like, all right, I need to make some changes here because this is not going to be a sustainable path at all. So it does, it takes discipline. It's always, I think everybody understands the value of it, but actually executing on that is is a much different conversation. Absolutely. What's your nonprofit? I love that. Jake. So it was, it was called the McLaren Leadership Foundation. And so we were focused oh, on nice. building community leaders uh, in Salem. Um, we had programs for young professionals. We had a few uh, community leadership cohorts that were a ton of fun. And fortunately, I was able to pass it on to somebody else I know is going to do a, an incredible job. And we built it at, with, um, as a partnership within our local Salem Area Chamber of Commerce. So it kind of fit underneath that umbrella. So we had some good some good support there, which helped helped to get launched as well. So good times. That's good awesome. times for sure. I'm curious to learn more about the uh, the journal. Do you have certain prompts that you use? Is it is it just kind of whatever you feel like writing about for that five minutes? Or what's been your, your process there? Yeah, I think it's actually called the five-minute journal yeah it's called the five minute journal oh i really really recommend it there's a few prompts the one that i use like well so so it starts every day with like a, a quote up top some kind of like inspirational quote to, to think about and then it sends like three things you're grateful for um what would make today great and then a couple of daily like affirmations as well and then there's kind of nighttime ones which i uh but it's like a little ambitious for me. So I, I generally do those, those top three. But the what would make today great is surprisingly helpful where I will, you know, really think, and it's like, wow, that would be like a great day. And then it's like halfway through, you're like, oh, what do I do? And it's like, all right, like I already said like going for a run would make today great. Or, or sometimes it's like going to a coffee shop and getting like, there's this one place that has this like chocolate chip muffin up being like toast with butter. And I'm like, yeah, like I'll just, if it's like a rainy day. <laughs> I'll like throw that on there because it's like, yes, yeah, like I, it's so easy to just, I'll just sit inside all day, but going to work for an hour and yeah, not like that does make the day great. You know, that's such an easy question that I think it's, it's, it's easy to miss as well when we feel things are just rough and we're going through a tough season, just challenging ourselves to ask, okay, what would make it better? And I think just like acknowledging the fact that there are things that will make it better. I can do those things to make my life better is powerful and I love that habit of just every day asking yourself, just that's beautiful. What was the name of the, uh, you said the five minute journal? Yeah. Okay. You can even just Google it and it's the same yeah. kind of, like, they're different quote every day, but same prompts. You could even just write those prompts down too. Like you don't that's buy the actual journal. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. I love it. Anything you want to add, Seth? I am so grateful for your time. I know you're extremely busy, but we really appreciate you being here on the Leaders Lens podcast. No, I appreciate it as well. Um, you know, if anyone in, you know, has questions. If you want to reach out, uh, I'm happy to to chat one on one, and uh, hopefully, you're able to take something away from here and and incorporate into your own management leadership. You know, make make the team a little a little stronger, make the company a little stronger. I love it. Yeah, we appreciate your time, and uh, very grateful as well to have Electric as a as a supporter 
of the of this podcast series. It's, it's been a big deal. And just having a company like yours, I believe in the vision, vision of Leaders Lens means a ton. So thank you for that. I've had so much fun doing the live episodes on Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time that we're going to continue this trend. So catch us live. It's going to be a ton of fun. We'll absolutely have to bring Seth back on at some point. He's been an incredible guest. And like you said, if you have questions about radical candor or leadership, feel free to send him a message. Feel free to send me a message or even leave it in the comments. You know, we'll, we'll make sure we keep an eye on it um, because being an effective leader is a big deal. You have a chance to completely change the lives of everybody on your team. So don't take that for granted. Seth, enjoy your day. Thanks, Jacob. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the show. Don't miss another episode of Leaders Lens and the inside scoop on becoming a great leader. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love Leaders Lens, please tell a friend.